0: Hi everyone and welcome to Crime Science. In this podcast, we explore the science of crime and the practical application of this science for loss prevention and asset protection practitioners as well as other professionals.
1: Welcome everybody to another episode of Crime Science the podcast. This the latest in our weekly update series and I'm joined as normal by Tony D'Afrio and Tom Ian, our producer Diego Rodriguez, associate producer Wilson Gabarino. And today we're going to kind of kind of visit a little bit Uh, and discuss uh, some of the things that are going on around the world, and I'm going to start off with uh, LPRC and some of what's going on here. Um, We were excited to carry off what uh, we've been talking about with you all for quite a while now, and that's the LPRC Integrate uh, event. That summit was um, designed, again, to be one part uh, training exercise for us all, one part tabletop exercise, and Again, uh, as a recap for just those that might not have heard before, but the uh, the scenario involved uh, two what we call red actors, two bad guys, if you will, that uh, were in a vehicle. Uh, they had hit one place, in other words, they conducted a uh, a theft event, um, and they piled into their vehicle and they were going to head northbound on one of the roads in our uh, UF Safer Places Lab Complex. Uh, those guys headed northbound, then turned and proceeded westbound, then turning north into the parking lot where our uh, the UF Innovate hub uh, is situated, and that's where our seven labs are situated as well, the six indoor and the outdoor complex. And uh, went up into the engagement lab, the simulated store environment, conducted what started out as just a rough and ready theft, uh, very aggressive series of uh, of thefts of different types of items um, proceeded to push, uh, one of the store employees, simulated store employees to the ground, um, in in order to get to some more product, instrumental violence. We've got now what we might call strong arm robbery. Um, another one of the red actors, uh, displayed a handgun to another employee in order to get them to that employee to open uh, a locked display case, uh, again, exercising, uh, that type of instrumental violence. We now have an arm robbery because of the handgun. Um, in the meantime, we had internal sensors that pick up on the loud noises, the aggressive behaviors, uh, the handgun, and uh, at the same time, multiple protected devices were sounding their alarms. Um, their APIs were being generated as multiple items were pulled or stripped from particular store fixtures, uh, protective fixtures in this case. Uh, we had our uh, simulated store manager waiting on a customer, and uh, she goes over to assist and finds out that one of her employees has been shoved to the ground. She starts to evacuate that employee uh, and get the customers out. Another customer, though, is pulls out his iPhone and is now recording the situation and putting himself and others in in, uh, in a dangerous situation. Uh, the employee. The, the manager also evacuates the employee uh, and, and the other customer, the non cooperative customer. Uh, our two red actors continue to steal multiple items, including a GPS tracker protected device, an iPhone in this case, uh, in a box, and leave the property, property excuse me, and take off uh, at a relatively high speed, exiting uh, the parking lot, continue westbound, turn southbound turn back east and then north into our second store site. Uh, but the police have been alerted. Uh, information has been fed to them, to the store, uh, in this case, the simulated store victim site two. Um, and so the police are able to safely intervene and uh, apprehend our two red actors. Um, so the victim store site two was not affected uh, nothing was stolen, and more critically, nobody was injured or even traumatized, hopefully, in that case. So, uh, successfully and very well done. We have overhead drone footage of the whole event. We've got on-the-ground uh, footage. We've got footage through multiple security cameras inside and outside the building, uh, including also pedestrians, iPhone cameras in the parking lot of store site, too. So, uh, a multitude of uh, data collected, as well as Signals and signatures from the smart devices, Um, their facial features were matched up, the vehicle's tag number, uh, state, and the actual number itself matched up, the vehicle appearance, make, model, color, customization, and damage matched up. So when they uh, pulled into store site two, uh, multiple different features and emissions were matched up uh, to say, hey, the individuals that that, uh, victimized store Site one, traumatizing the customers, employees there, uh, and conducting that robbery. Those two and that vehicle have just shown up. Uh, and that was, as they were proceeding, radioed and communicated to law enforcement via Multitude Insights and uh, through different platforms, uh, uh, Everbridge signaling to the other store sites and so on and so forth. So, you know, of course, uh, we had, in this case— Just about or just over 30 retail corporations were represented. About 45, 46 uh, retail AP or LP executives uh, were divided into three teams. We had uh, the red, the white, and the blue teams. Uh, uh, Each of the teams was facilitated by two uh, AP or LP executives that helped us put the scenario and the exercises together. Um, They were also, each team had assigned um, a research scientist from our team to uh, help discuss some of the underlying theory and concepts or frameworks that we use to describe how, uh, we detect and how we, uh, document, but also how we try and deter and disrupt behavior, um, throughout the journey to and from crime, the crime script that I just described. And, um, we had technical experts in there to help describe and discuss with, uh, and serve as, uh, experts on the scene. We had, uh, also had evaluators that were also acting as scribes and documenting things, making suggestions. Uh, we had uh, some faculty from the University of Florida, data scientists, uh, uh, industrial systems engineering uh, faculty, and others also. We had eight law enforcement agencies represented uh, at the uh, federal and at the uh, county and local level. Um, we had uh, from the Public Safety Institute here in Ellicott County, Game spill area, that all that uh, puts on the police and other first responder academies and retraining, and has just world-class facilities. Uh, they were all here to take part in the exercise to provide critiques, describe opportunities, um, and add realism to the scenario. So, um, all in all, the feedback we got has been off the charts, amazing. Uh, I'm positive, certainly always opportunities to improve the scenario. That's what we're trying to do. Improve uh, the tech stack or the uh, what sensors and communications or connections and, and analytics and distribution and disbursement tools that we might have as well as the protective devices. Uh, how do we best integrate them uh, we found some opportunities, and we'll continue to do so in what might be missing. What's the gap analysis here? What do we need to better and earlier and more definitively know something or someone or someones are headed our way to victimize or to harm? Um, how do we get that information to the right people at the right time, the right way? Um, how do we better shape the information that we're collecting, all the visual, oral, and digital signatures or emissions or features that need to be collected? Get those to the right people pull them all together forensically to create, uh, world-class, uh, criminal cases for prosecution, um, and so on. So, uh, just an amazing day, uh, called LPRC integrate. And that was, was with the inaugural or initial event. Um, we did a debrief, um, afterwards, uh, with all hands on deck describing and going back through, we got other feedback that was inputted throughout the event. Uh, and then after the event on, uh, electronically or digitally, uh, multiple surveys were given before and after. We had Dr. Hervé Boyon from the University of College of London uh, who flew over to help us. And and he and one of his PhD students had, had worked with us extensively during the preparation phase. Uh, Dr. Boyon was also here to take notes and to record uh, uh, audio-wise with the permission of the participants um, just for note-taking and for report Uh, uh, purposes with no, of course, individual or corporate or organizational attribution and things like that. Um, So we're excited to come out with an after action report. We'll have some briefs. We're going to have a 90 minute uh, webinar, live webinar for all of our members to go through and discuss and debrief. Uh, In the meantime, we're peeling off and we'll work on upcoming scenarios and ways that we might deliver those uh, digitally or remotely, uh, as well as maybe on the road as well as what we might want to do here in Gainesville um, uh, because there's just no shortage of theft, fraud, or violent situations. We will be working on an active assailant tabletop uh, for those that are wondering where we might be heading with some of these things. Um, but just an amazing day, an amazing event. The LPRC team uh, w- was phenomenal. The From the reception we had on the Monday uh, and all the tours and things were happening, the engagements and opportunities to for everybody to get together and talk to meet and greet uh, through everything that we did from the breakfast and lunch and uh, the reception at the um, the the new swamp restaurant um, as well. Um, and then all the logistics and they're very complex logistics, all the all the laptops that need to be distributed, all the slides that had to be produced and checked and rechecked and triple checked and Uh, all the people running around making sure that things were happening the way they're supposed to happen. Um, It it was a thing of beauty. And um, I want to congratulate each and every one of our LPRC team members for their extraordinary efforts uh, as well as all the LPRC members that really helped us put this thing together. And, uh, and then everybody that participated. Um, We also had our board of advisors meeting. It's normally we don't want to pull off this many things at once, but, We had multiple of our 40 um, uh, board of advisor members come in from retail executives to industry executives to law enforcement executives um, and and others that came in uh, and met together with us and our team and helped us uh, brief them up on what all we've been up to and where we think we should be heading to improve uh, the outcomes and the process and everything that we deliver here to our membership and the industry at large at the LPRC, um, as well as, of course, get their critical feedback on everything that we're working on, how we can get better, get more focused, give them what they need in in, uh, more usable formats. Um, We then had uh, our LPRC uh, Innovate advisory panel meet. that Innovate, again, the advisory panel is made up of 30 major retailers. They'll have one or two people. Assigned to meet with us monthly online, or in this case, also at, at uh, excuse me at Ignite in the uh, winter, and then at the end of the year in the fall uh, at Impact Conference, uh, we also have a lot of tech, several tech teams, uh, excuse me, technical people or organizations that are members of that. We've got eleven sponsors uh, that provide some of the meaningful technologies. People like Axis and Axon, uh, ever seen, uh for example, AT and T Business. Um, we've got um, the National Retail Federation. We've got uh, Lenovo. Um, we've got more. And what they do is they help us think these things through. They also provide uh, extra financial resources that, have, that we're able to translate into a, a larger and even more capable research team. Uh, dollar for dollar, every bit of the sponsorships that come in from advisory panel members go directly into hiring and retaining um, top-notch research scientists, research technologists, data scientists. Um, so, great set of meetings. I walked away after Integrate going into the BOA, the board of advisors, as well as the Innovate Advisory Panel meetings, where things were more crystallized in my mind personally than I think ever before in twenty almost 23 years now uh, with what we're trying to get done together. So, I want to thank again all of our participants there, our team again for putting on a fantastic uh, BOA and innovate which we call the ignite ignite meeting here we go we're getting ready to jet off into a series of things we're going to be doing some training for rei at their annual meeting um, we're going to be working with a multitude of other retailers uh, that were being contacted to get online and weigh in uh, we'll be going to an at&t business uh, conference where they're going to have major retailers in here from around the world down in orlando and talking about some of the things that are going on there Um, You know, the University of Florida, I just attended today, Um, uh, there was only, I think there was eight of us faculty that were requested to come in and work with the strategic marketing and communications team and understand how they could support and get get the word out on the the valuable critical research that those of us that are working in different disciplines, uh, myself and, and of course, public safety and crime and loss prevention. Um, So, uh, a whole plethora of things happening here at the LPRC. A whole lot more to come uh, as we move into our Supply Chain Protection Summit uh, that'll be hosted by Procter & Gamble, P&G, in Cincinnati at their uh, world headquarters. Um, we're excited about that. Uh, Dr. Lowe, Corey, and the team will also be heading to Houston uh, for the Violent Crime Working Group Summit. So uh, more information on that. Uh, that's kind of a lot. I'm going to go ahead and turn it over to Tony D'Offrio And Tony, if you could take it away, and great seeing you in Gainesville.
2: Thank you, Reid, for all those uh, great updates. Uh, Let me start by first congratulating you and the entire loss prevention research council team on a great Ignite meeting this past week. Heard lots of positive comments from attendees on both Integrate and the progress being made with LPRC at the Board of Advisors meetings that I attended. Let me start this week with an update on the nebulous state of the US economy. This 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 information is from CNBC and they said if you think the economy is confusing right now, considering how baffling it must look to Home Depot and Walmart. Last week the two big retailers sent a cautious signals about the health of the US consumer. In a nutshell, Walmart said US consumer spending Started the year strong, but it expects household to back off to the year, producing weak physical year 2022 U.S. sales growth of just 2 to 2.5%. Two Home Depot's at consumer spending is holding up, but it expects a flat sales growth year overall with declining profits. Indeed, uh, if you look at it, the latest inflation read from last Friday's core personal co- consumption expansion index was also hotter than expected. Friday's numbers showed how consumer spending rose more than expected as prices increased, jumping 1.8% for the month compared to an estimate of 1.4%. For from the big bucks retailer earnings to declining hopes of that disinflation would be a straight line down in 2023. The latest news from the market and the economy highlight how Hard of a job the Federal Reserve has in cooling off without causing a recession. Predicting where rates will end in 2023 is no easy task. This year started with the bond market confident the Fed was nearing the end of the rate increases. And that is not the case. And maybe there will not be a, a soft landing. But after two straight higher than expected consumer inflation reads in recent weeks, there is talk that the Fed potentially raising now 50 basis points at the next meeting and that the higher, longer view that uh, we're going to keep raising rates is suddenly uh, back on the horizon. So uh, we I actually talked this in the prediction webinars that I did uh, earlier this year in February, and basically same thing. Uh, I, we do believe that uh, the second half of the year will be tougher for the U.S. economy. Switching topics, and it's very appropriate. I'm actually in Europe, and I just spent time with one of the world's largest retailers that has done the best job, I think, in terms of deploying RFID, let me focus on a new article that I just published titled The Ever-Growing Omnipresence of Retailer RFID. If you think about it, the history of RFID is long and interesting. As I wrote in another article, which you can find on my website, the technology actually has its uh, roots in World War II. For the retail industry, the adoption fuse, in my view, has been slow to burn. Multiple times, I've asked the same questions that the children always ask when going on a long trip Are we there yet? In my view, however, we are closer than ever in making our FID one of the key standards to address inventory visibility, whose importance, in my view, also was accelerated by COVID 19. In 2022, the problem of inventory distortion worldwide totaled an outstanding $1.9 trillion. And inventory distortion is a uh, basically out of stocks and over stocks combined. So think about it. The problem is 1.9 over $1.9 trillion. The same IS Shell research confirms that the number one reasons why customers leave your store without buying, are empty shelves or out of stocks. This occurred 62% of the time consumers didn't buy, and panic buying in 2020 was a significant driver for this reason. In 2022, this issue overall dropped to nearly 59% of the problem in in the minds of consumers, but that's still a high percentage. By comparison, the next reason for leaving a store without buying is we can't find help and which is only at nearly 14%. So empty shelves is is the reason why consumers leave stores. The most dramatic insight from the ISL research, as I pointed out in the article, is that inventory distortion lowers consumer trust with the particular retailer. And in fact, as you'll see in the article, if you read it on my website, in the last two years, trust in Amazon has been over x versus other retail industry sector. In other words, if a consumer is not happy with you, they're going to go to Amazon. In 2021, I actually wrote an article titled, What's Driving the 93% Retail Adoption Rate in, in North America. In that article, I actually cited research from Accenture, uh, which had... Um, Basically, 47% of of responding North America retailers in full adoption of our FID, 37% in implementation stages, and 10% piloting. High adoption rates were also prevalent in in that research in Europe and Asia. The number one application uh, that was discussed as most important was accurate inventory visibility, and I fully agree with that. Fast forward another year to 2022 and new research that confirms that inventory visibility is now the number one retailer technology priority. Full disclosure, uh, I should say, uh, and I say this also in the article, RFID is not the only technology that can address inventory visibility. I'm also a major proponent of computer vision and its evolution in addressing this challenge, especially in some hard-goods sectors. The latest study just published by IRS News, uh, which is called the Store Experience Study, also lists RFID as the second most important emerging technology identified by retailers. As the study points out, RFID gives retailers keen insight into inventory visibility, enabling store-based fulfillment. 54% of those that have RFID deployed are GMS retailers. Those that have deployed have a higher priority on inventory visibility, and optimizing the digital journeys for stall fulfillment. Interesting that also in the IHL research that retailers already using RFID in 2022 had 83% higher sales growth and 80% higher profits. Uh, the omnipresence of RFID is further exemplified by the latest NRF security survey, which LPRC had a hand in developing, of course, RFID systems are listed in that research as the number one technology where nearly 39% of retailers are implementing it or planning to implement it for loss prevention. Interesting that RFID is number one, in my view. Uh, uh, This internet technology is just getting started in the potential it can deliver in terms of smarter security solutions to attack the changing crime patterns in retail. Uh, incidentally, uh, in that same research, uh, the computer vision, uh, computer vision application was number two, which again, stresses the importance of computer vision. So I've been lucky in, in this example of me being in here in Europe with a major retailer that has the deployed RFID that, that I actually have been part and even influenced the direction of both computer vision and RFID, And I can confirm that uh, the omnipresence and importance across all of retail will continue to increase in the future. And by the way, uh, the LPRC is a place to spend time learning more about how to optimize both of these technology. And with that, let me turn it over to Tom.
0: Well, thank you, Tony, and thank you, Reid. Lots to discuss, a a very exciting, funful last couple of weeks in the intelligence space and risk space. So I'll start with a couple kind of exciting announcements. Uh, One, Google made an announcement last week. It was a relatively quiet announcement um, around a quantum computing um, milestone. While they didn't really speak to specific quantum computing, one thing they did mention or release is that uh, a group of data scientists, researchers, and academic folks at Google have been able to solve complex math problems faster uh, than before. And some of these math problems, essentially the computing power wasn't available up until this most recent successful test. So what does this mean? I mean, it means that it's a step closer uh, for quantum computing, and um, one of the, the benefits of quantum computing is the speed in which computers can do math. One of the disadvantages is essentially a lot of the protection protocols and uh, encryptions that are in place today could be defeated. Um, there are a lot of developed countries putting in some legislation around quantum computing, but as we see that... Uh, Growth in that sector, we we definitely need to watch it closely, especially in the security field. Because when Quantum Community becomes available, even commercially available at scale, a lot of the security measures in place today will be deemed deemed inefficient because of the power to process. Um, So more to come. Definitely a space to watch. I want to switch gears a little bit. Uh, We've been talking about AI and chatbot and Bing and um, all of these different uh, open AI and artificial intelligence around large language model announcements in the past past few weeks. Uh, I think there's... Just been a tremendous um, reception to Chat GPT, which is uh, a parent company is OpenAI, and for everybody listening, if you've tried Chat GPT, you're using Chat GPT 3.5 or Pseudo 4, but it's really 3.5. And what it is, is it's a large language model that essentially holds the majority, if not all, of the data from. Um, Available on the internet to search prior to 2021, so there have been just a slew of offerings, apps, software packages taking advantage of this, um, and in some spaces, it's just remarkably, um, remarkably intuitive. Uh, basically, what it is is it's not you know super sci-fi here. This is a, a large language model that is a predictive model. It actually looks at what you type in, and predicts what. You, it thinks you want to hear. And it's pretty accurate. Uh, one kind of thing that occurred is I think a couple weeks ago we talked about Google's announcement of BARD, which is Google's answer to uh, OpenAI's ChatGPT. Uh, Microsoft owns 49% of OpenAI's ChatGPT. So Microsoft has made a series of announcements, including um, the integration with Bing, Uh it's search engine, and uh, there was a really interesting story that came out of the New York Times after um, Valentine's Day. So a uh, New York Times reporter on Valentine's Day, the February 14th, uh, and it's interesting because the story goes into great detail, after having dinner with a significant other, went and tried to trick or hack, or they, sometimes they call it an, inject, uh, an AI injection to trick the AI into something else. Now, Bing, there's been a whole bunch of news stories and information on the tech wire about Bing's code name being Sydney and there being ways to talk to Sydney versus just uh, answer uh, fic- Straightforward question. So, um, very very interesting article. Basically, what had happened is uh, the reporter spent two hours talking to Sydney. Got Sydney to come out and talk. Uh, there's a couple different lines of commands that you could put in. Everybody could do it, um, and then it gives a pseudo personality to the ChatGPT engine. It's important to note that this is not Setneve AI. It's not set in it's not smart, it's not logical, it's just predictive. It's also important to note that this is one of the risks that we always hear about AI is that models can be biased because um, they're learning from input, and if humans give input, they they could become biased. So I'm not going to get into the specifics here, but very, very interesting two-hour conversation which led Sydney to... Um, appear to have emotion, basically tell this reporter to leave his wife and that she could make him happier and that he wasn't happy in this marriage. Now, if you read the transcripts, and um, the, this is both uh, a news article and it was also on a podcast, you would see that what was occurring is the AI was being, I don't want to say tricked, but... Coached into answering the questions they were the way they were. Now, I'd like to say that I don't think that this reporter did anything wrong. Actually, quite the contrary. Uh, trying to prove a point of how the engine worked and really was successful. A couple times there were safeguards that Microsoft in- initiated. So there's screenshots of these conversations. But a couple times during the conversation, the the, the it would error out and give a, a you know a command that. Bing was down, but what's important to note here is that all of this technology is new. It's all really exciting. It's being heavily, heavily marketed in different type of commercial aspects, uh, CRM management tools, um, email modification tools, content writing tools. But it's also important to note that it is still relatively new. Uh, And error-prone. So while this story was really exciting and very interesting for anybody that follows this space, it was kind of expected, if you will. Uh, Switching gears a little bit to Chinese surveillance balloons and unidentified flying objects, Last week, so um, last week when we were at Ignite and LPRC, I'd be remiss if I didn't say what a fantastic event that was. There was a, an active threat tabletop that went phenomenal and um, then a Board of Advisor meeting and an Innovate panel meeting. Um, I, there, the Monday of last week, so President's Day, there was actually another unidentified object, uh, flying object uh, just off the coast of Hawaii um, we're we're watching. We were watching it fairly closely. Kind of died out of the news. Uh, we're seeing on the the intelligence chatter a, a handful of these balloons popping up, or these unidentified flying objects. I want to make one thing clear in in the the reports that surfaced around the one by Hawaii was it was identified as a balloon not an identified object Um, there were surveillance planes watching it and then um, most if not all of the public and uh, and coverage including the back channel coverage kind of died out so certainly a space to watch certainly a wild kind of experiment to to watch if you will I I think one thing when we were at the LPRC I asked the question if, if anybody knows of any you know, modern um, day or even on record time when something was shot down over the continental U.S. and no one did. I I think this, you know, with everything going on, I think we lose sight of just how significant it is to shoot anything down over the United States of America. So definitely, definitely something to uh, keep an eye on, and we will. And then last but certainly not least... um, Department of Energy uh, released a statement based on classified documents around COVID nineteen and its origins. And this classified report uh, was not released because it is classified. But the Department of Energy did release their report um, around the fact that their statement is that there was a high likelihood that the COVID nineteen or coronavirus was leaked from a lab in China, the Wuhan lab is what it stated. So I think it's important to note here that this isn't saying it was intentional, but it's saying that it was leaked. And there were four or five different intelligence reports cited um, in this this information that was gathered. Uh, and they're not all succinct. Some uh, three or two of the four say it was inconclusive. The other two now state that there's a high likelihood that the the virus was leaked from a lab or escaped the lab. I think there's a couple key things here. One, you might be asking why the Department of Energy. Um, the Department of Energy actually is responsible for a lot of the labs, um, and that is why they're, they, they oversee some of it. So that's why they had it involved. The FBI did a report that was referenced here, um, but a lot of this, because it's classified, you don't know exactly what it was said. And I think the global community is somewhat mixed about what this is mean and what goes forward. I'm actually taping uh, today in Germany, and a couple people um, I spoke to uh, had just simply said. That they had thought this all along, but now, what does this mean for the international community? What does this mean for a response, uh, if anything? What do we do now? Uh, kind of, it, it's almost the the sediment was almost at this point. What what difference does it make? Is what one person said. Now, I'm not I'm not agreeing or disagreeing with that. I'm just sharing sediment of people that we talked to. So, definitely, definitely a lot of different things going on uh, uh, there. And I'll wrap up with this because I think. Um, this was a question that came up when we were at Ignite. There were several train derailments in the past uh, uh, past several weeks, and did it seem odd? And uh, I'm certainly not an expert on trains, but when we did a little bit of research, there's more than 1,000 train derailments a year. Um, so this could just be that, unfortunately, these were more horrific events. Um, involved these Palestine with the chemicals and then um, a couple of really serious derailments. I'm not going to speculate on that. I thought it was important to mention it because it came up a few times. Um, and uh, next week, uh, hopefully... I'll have a report on Euroshop because I'm at Euroshop, which is uh, by population or, or attendance, not population, is the largest uh, retail trade fair. So about 135,000 people here. So I'm sure I'll, we'll have some updates from that. And with that, I'll turn it back over to Reed.
1: All right. Well, thanks so much, Tom. and Also, great seeing you in Gainesville uh, for Ignite and for Integrate uh, and for all you do. And thanks again, Tony, to you. Thanks also again to Wilson and thanks to Diego. And of course, thank you to each and every one of you. Stay safe out there.
2: Thanks
0: for listening to the Crime Science Podcast presented by the Loss Prevention Research Council. If you enjoyed today's episode, you can find more Crime Science episodes and valuable information at lpresearch.org. The content provided in the Crime Science Podcast is for informational purposes only and is not a substitute for legal, financial, or other advice. Views expressed by guests of the Crime Science Podcast are those of the authors and do not reflect the opinions or positions of the Loss Prevention Research Council.